Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Iggy Sports Talk. I am your host, Jake Ingzuski, or Iggy for short. And I greatly appreciate you taking this time to listen to Iggy Sports Talk. This is your first time listening to this podcast. I not only talk about sports, but I bring on guests to talk about their experiences in life and how they've been able to overcome challenges and relieve their mental health. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever audio platform you're using so you get notified for weekly episodes. Now let's listen in to this week's episode of Iggy Sports Talk. I am here with Quinton Williams, who is a former two-sport Big Ten athlete, a Gator Bowl champion, and the founder and CEO of World Class. So how are we doing today, Quinton? I'm doing great. Should I call you Iggy? Should I call you Jake? Either one works for me, man. It's some, something that's kind of funny is people always ask, you know, um, where did Iggy come from? And my last name is Ignazuski. And so uh, all throughout my life, people have had a really difficult time being able to see, uh, say that. And I would always call my grandparents, you know, grandma and grandpa Iggy. And uh, I'm like, you know what? Might as well just take that as, as a shorter version of my last name. So it makes it easier for people to say. I like it, man. I like it. I, I, have, it. A, I have a friend from high school who went by Iggy, so... Let's go That's with that, fun. man. Yeah. Awesome works for me. It's it's funny because people people always go, you, you stole Andre Iguodala, the basketball player's nickname. And I'm like, I didn't steal anything. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just repurposing it in my own way. But uh, where, where, are you, where are you calling in from today? I'm in San Diego, California. Oh, there you go. I've, I've always I've always heard that San Diego has the nice 75 degree weather, not too hot, not too cold and all, n- never too humid either. It's exactly right, man. It's you can't get better weather than San Diego. I mean, it's um, it's it's basically a desert here. But then people planted trees and and <laughs> everything they wanted here um, way back in the day to to make it more livable. And it's just it's incredible. It has its own little climate. Um, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, so I'm an East Coaster. Um, lived in Chicago for a number of years, and then made my way out here about four years ago and. I don't know if I can ever leave, man. It's just, it's great. It's, it's sunny. It's probably 60 today um, in the winter, you know, really, really blessed to be here. I love that. I, that that's one place I've always wanted to go to. Um, luckily, I just started working for an arena football team who's actually going to be playing in San Diego. So I have, I have the opportunity to go out there. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm in New Hampshire right now. Uh, funny enough, even even though, you know, we're recording on December 15th, uh, we had snow, our first snowfall this past week, and then it just went 50 to 60. And you can't get any more New England weather than that. Oh, man, dude. Yeah. I um <clears throat> I know that feeling. I mean, that's how the East Coast is, thankfully. Like yeah. it can be a little bit fickle. When mm-hmm. I lived in Chicago, man, like it was the same snow that fell in December, you would still see it on the ground in March. 
it's or in funny. April sometimes. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it wouldn't melt. But at least in the East Coast, you get the sun to come out. It'll melt mm -hmm. the snow, and right. You know, it'll be at least a little thicker. It'll give you a little bit of um, you know, something to look forward to. Yeah, exactly. I'm the type of person where uh, I'm, I'm a big skier. So if if like there's no snow on the ground, I'm not able to play in the snow. There's no reason for it to be cold, in my opinion. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. <laughs> I, I living in Chicago is wonderful. And like without hills, you know, to be able to ski, I'm like, what was the purpose of this snow? Like, right. what is the yeah, purpose exactly. of it? You know, so <laughs> I'm I love you. it. Well, so I, I usually like to start off these episodes, you know, talking about looking back at the last year uh, and, and something, something that I've tried to focus on myself is, um, you know, with everything that's going on right now, it doesn't matter like what stresses you have in your life. Like, where were you on January 1st and where are you today? And just being proud of like how far you've come. And especially with how, um, you know, uh, weird 2020 was where, where it was just riddled with the pandemic. Um, looking back on this past year, what, what are some of the favorite moments of 2021 for you? Wow. Um, I mean, where I started, I mean, I started my business less than two years ago. So over this past year, I officially gave up my corporate job, um, moved into this full time. And, that. you know, people will tell you this probably a, a lot, but entrepreneurship is a, a whole spiritual journey and a spiritual battle. It, it, mm -hmm. it really it's just like being in a marriage, you know, or, or any important relationship or, or sport. It shows you who you are. You know, it really um, forces you to, to really confront who you've been, been being and who you really have always wanted to be and who you are at the core. Um, and it challenges every, every area of your life. So it's, I feel really proud to say that, um, you know, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur and I've grown so much over the last couple of years, and especially in the last year, taking this on full time. I love it. And yeah. obviously when, when people, you know, take that leap to be an entrepreneur, you know, start their own business, be, be their own boss. It's, it's always in the back of their mind. Like, how am I going to be able to monetize this? Am I going to be able to make the same amount of money as, you know, as I was with my corporate job. And um, something that I always try to focus on is worry less about the money and more about, doing what you love. And obviously mm -hmm. money is the way that you survive uh, in this society, but um, I'd rather do a job where I, I feel like it's, I'm not even working. I'm, I'm just doing my passion. I'm doing what I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, that we can relate this a little bit to like the, the athlete mentality, but um, yes, you know, as, as, as athletes, I think a lot of us have been sort of brought been brought up to think like we have to be doing something hard for it to be productive you know for it have to be it has to be um you know difficult for it to be worth it and mm -hmm. what i found is you know just like you've also found in sport is like when you really enjoy it when you really love it you play a lot better you know <laughs> and you, you tend to make more money in sport and in life and in business so if you do enjoy it and you do try to enjoy it then everything gets better, man. So um, I believe we're meaning making machines like mm -hmm. we literally create our own meaning and our own purpose. Right. And so if if you can't find purpose in something, try a little harder and then maybe try something else, you know, because it, it's we're supposed to find meaning in what we do. Um, it's not supposed to be a drag, you know, a thousand percent. Yeah, in my opinion, it's all about the 
perspective that we have, you know, the, the reality that we paint for ourselves and as, as difficult as it is to, you know, allow those outside pressures um, that are made up by society or, or our parents that we have to be somewhere at some point in our life, instead of just, um, you, you know, enjoying where we are today and trying to get to that point where we're finding our purpose and something that we love. I, I think that's really all that matters, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's paramount. One thousand percent, and and you are somebody who, uh, like like you mentioned, you're a two sport athlete, baseball and football. And I want to talk a little bit about that, especially like growing up, because um, as myself, as somebody who went through baseball and in little league, uh, you know, those two sports, uh, parents can get very passionate about it, and you know, towns can also get very passionate about it, invested in it, and. Um, how was your experience, you know, being a two sport athlete and were you one of those kids who, um, was like good throughout your entire, like early, early time playing it, or were you sort of like a late bloomer? It, it, it kind of depends on which sport you're talking about. Yeah. Cause I had, um, <clears throat> so in, in Pittsburgh football is king and, right. um, the, the first sport that I learned that I was good at was baseball. Um, and which was great. You know, I, that was the first time I felt like acknowledged for something aside from just being me, I was not being acknowledged for like what I could do. I was, I was seven years old, you know, the coaches, um, at the first practice that I was at first organized baseball practice had my new, my new mid out. I was throwing, you know, standing on the left, left field, um, you know, line. And then my partner was across from me and we were throwing and, um, the coaches started congregating behind me. And I couldn't figure out why I thought maybe I was doing something wrong. Right. And I hear them start talking like, Oh, Quentin's, Quentin's got a, he, he has a good arm. Wow. Okay, cool. And he, they started watching me and they started like, you know, paying attention to me. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I, I like to ask athletes that same question. Like, when did you kind of realize, you know, that you were good at this or that you had potential in it or that you were being acknowledged? for what you were doing and what you could do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important moment because, you know, up until that time in my life, like, I, I guess I always felt kind of different. I always felt like a little bit out of, uh, like I didn't really fit in. And so this was a way for me to fit in with something that was important, you know, although it wasn't football in, in Pittsburgh, it was baseball. It felt like I was fitting in, which was great. And I was also standing out. So, that's a that's a really awesome balance, and so it was a natural inclination for me to to really invest in it. You know, I was I was a young kid, but you know, made an all star team that turned into a travel team. We went to Cooperstown, won won our our week in Cooperstown. If you're familiar with that, probably being the East yeah. Coast, you know what that is. Um, and then I you know fast forward through high school, I I got drafted out of high school um, to the Blue Jays, but went to college instead. So that was my baseball journey. Um, I pretty much knew I was good since I started, but football was a little bit different. Like, um, football, I was always like a, a bigger kid. I was always taller and a little bit, uh, my brother would say chubby, you know, like a little <laughs> bit chubby, but, um, you know, I was always bigger. And so I would always actually play up on my brother's teams. I would always be too heavy to play with the guys that were my age, which, gave, which really gave me an awesome advantage, but I never was really thought of to be like, Oh, like I'm gonna go and play Division One football, right? Like I actually had a coach, one of our coaches when I was um, in midget football. He had like a um, he had he had like a, a streak of his own where he would 
he had been in the program for like 20 years and he would literally call out each kid that would end up going division one. And he had like a, a perfect winning streak with that. He could predict it. Mm-hmm. And he had guys that went to West Virginia. Mark Bolger played in my, in my same, you know, Wee team. Oh, wow. He played for West Virginia. Um, he picked out guys that would go to Pitt, <clears throat> go to smaller schools, but <clears throat> he could always pick out who was going to, who was going to go D one. And he picked my brother to go D one. And he said that I wouldn't go D one. Mm. And it just, not that it like motivated me any, but it was really fun, like to kind of play around with that. Once I kind of realized like I was good at this, you know, once I was like age nine and playing up, playing up with the 11 year olds, once I was age 12, playing up with the 13 year olds, like that was just so cool. And then when I was a freshman in high school, I got brought up to varsity. And all of a sudden I was competing with my brother and all of his friends and all these guys that were seniors that were going on to play college football. One guy went to Pitt, one guy went to uh, um, Kent State. Mm -hmm. I was playing with like some incredible talent as a freshman. And so, you know, I think it was really then when I realized like, oh, I can go D1 in this thing and I can really prove that guy wrong, right? Right. Um, Again, not that that was my like motivation, but I, um, there, there is something internal there when like, you're not expected to do something and you just go and do it, you know? And so, um, yeah, to answer your question, like, was I always good or did I always know that I always had this vision or goal? Like, I don't know if I ever did. Like I, I just kept, you know, getting better and better. And I just tried to really focus. And I, I had the benefit of having an older brother who was playing ahead of me that I could play on his team even in baseball that they would pull me up to, to pitch once in a while. And I would get to pitch against some of the, the best competition in the area, you know? Cool. So, um, I felt really blessed by my athletic career. Also being brought up in a place like Pittsburgh where football is so important. It's, it's so important to the lifeblood of the area and there's really good programming and people really take it seriously. And, you know, to that extent, I think, um, I always tried to not let my identity get caught up in the sport because just like that seven-year-old who realized he had a good arm, like I didn't want to just be known for having a good arm. Right. I I didn't want to just be known for being a bigger kid Mm. who could, could take on 11 year olds at nine years old, you Mm -hmm. know, like, yes, that felt good. It felt like I could be physically dominant and there's something within us that's, um, that's sort of primal. That's sort of like just within us that, wants to be dominating physically, right? Um, but I didn't want that to define me. I wanted to have a heart and I wanted to be, um, wanted to be human, you know, yeah. not just a superhuman. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I, I mean, I bet, especially like growing up, I mean, like you mentioned, you were um, drafted out of high school, you were freshman year picked for the varsity team. I, I can only imagine sort of like what sort of pressure that how to especially potentially at times being um being shadowed by your brother and I, i'm an only child and so I, I never really had to deal with that but i just remember myself um you know competing for spots on um varsity baseball team just, just the pressure that you have um to live up to those expectations and especially if you do good one year um they expect you to you know live up to that and even even get it even better mm-hmm it's it's so interesting that people like this this comes up a lot um with people but like 
I, I can't say that I ever felt the pressure. Like I, I, I really, and I, I was actually just talking to a client earlier. So I'm, I'm a men's coach for retired athletes. And I was just talking to a client of mine who, who does feel that he even feels that right now to this day, he's long gone out of sports, but he feels that pressure to perform or to live up to some certain expectation mm. or to be a certain way, right. um, to squeeze life for all it's worth, to put his potential to work. And like, I definitely felt some pressure, you know, like, especially with my, my, my dad, like really had a lot of passion for what I was doing. And he really had invested a lot of time and energy and money. And, right. you know, um, I feel so blessed that I came from a family that could afford to send me to travel baseball, you know, mm-hmm. to travel around the country and get me to practices 45 minutes away, um, to go to a private, um, high school that was a powerhouse school that like led Pennsylvania pretty much every year. Mm-hmm. Um, like I feel really, really blessed. Um, and I think sometimes I took that for granted, you know, I don't know if I really felt the pressure to perform based on that, but, um, that I feel very grateful that I never really felt pressured too much, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? From those, those mm-hmm. around me, I guess I just, I, I tried to just revert it back to like, you know, running my race. And this is exactly what I said to my client today. I said, like, there's that famous kind of picture. It's not that famous, but you know, you've probably seen a picture like this before where there's two guys running a race on a track and one is focused on winning the race and just looking at the finish line, running through the line. Right. And then the other one's like looking at the guy who's, who's winning like, mm. Oh, how am I? He's, he's, he's running fast. I gotta, I gotta speed up or, What's he doing that I'm not doing that I could do better, you know? And we're focused running, we're running two races when we should really just be running one. And it's that comparison. It's that pressure that we put on ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's it's the phones and the social media and present day, right? Where we start running other people's races and that's when we get in trouble. That's when we are overwhelmed with the amount of energy we're diverting everywhere around us when really we're only one, running one race. And it's really pretty simple if we just stay focused, you know? One thousand, um, I, I think that's huge. Yeah. And I, I think that's where pressure comes from, mm. you know? I think when we're focused on running someone else's race or what direction someone thinks we should be running, or maybe we're following someone else's measuring for success. Yeah. That's when we feel pressure. You know, that's when it doesn't feel good because pressure feels, you can feel it in your body. I, I, I like to coach the body too. Like not just what you feel emotionally, but like, how does that feel in your body? Like, do, like, do, do you feel excited about that? Does your body feel tight or tense or does it feel expansive, excited? Does it feel like there's, you know, blood rushing through your veins or do you feel like everything's stagnant? And those are all signs for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. I, I felt something similar. I, I just recently graduated college in May and, um, that pressure to get a job right out of college is huge. And I mean, it's, it's the stigma made by, you know, our parents that's instilled in us by society that you have to get a job out of college and you got to know what you want to do. And, um, and then obviously, like you mentioned now with social media, you're, you're seeing other people um, doing things that you've always wanted to do. And you're like, why am I not here? You know, beating yourself up for, um, 
for like not being in that exact position when like that's that's not your journey you're you're, you're in exactly where you're supposed to be but you got to be able to accept that and you need to be able to realize that you know everything happens for a reason not everybody's journey is going to be exactly the same but i think the comparison um is a huge problem um right now in our society and it's, it's a lot to do like you mentioned with social media it's something that i deal with every day mm -hmm. uh, and you know social media is it's, it's there to you know, and, and I, I deal with it too, by the way, right? Like I run my business mostly on social media. And so naturally there's the inclination to be on it a lot. And it can be a tool to connect us yeah. and to get work, to get the word out, you know? Um, but just like anything, you know, when not using the moderation, it can be, it can be really devastating um, the impact that it has on us. Because we're in the information age, like we have access to everything and anything that we want at yeah, right. a moment's notice. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. So, yeah, I, I always just say, try to try to stay in your lane and you, you shouldn't. I don't think we ever we're always going to feel some pressure because we're societal beings. We're social mm. beings. We, we run in packs. Right. And we're ultimately, you know, we're all challenged with doing things that are best for the common good you know, that also align with our good, you know, what feels good for us, where we fit, you know, in line. Um, but I think, you know, you also got to run your race, yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to take your shot yeah. and um, focusing on other people and the way that they operate is not going to help you do your job because your job is unique. Your job is different than everybody else's. Yeah, 1000%. And I, yeah. I think it's also a lot how you use social media. I, I think you do it in a great way to help influence other people. I, I think the word influencer isn't used correctly a lot of the times. Um, an influencer is somebody who has millions of followers and fonts what they have that, that other people mm -hmm. don't. And actual influencers help influence people to be uh, the better versions of themselves. Um, and, and like you mentioned, it helps people connect. I mean, that's how we got connected. And mm -hmm. um, I think I think it's a huge thing. But yeah, that, that whole race, and, and I bet especially with with like sports as well, going, going back to that a little bit of, um, you know, what school somebody went to, you know, what what um, what sort of preparation team this person's on and um oh the, this person got drafted out of high school but you know I, i'm playing college baseball like they, they could potentially get to the higher point that i want to faster than i do um but i mean it's it's all about uh, like life isn't a race it's, it's it's all about you focusing on your path um and being grateful where you are and what you've been able to do um along that way mm -hmm. It is. And, you know, kudos to you, too, for starting a podcast, you know, fresh out of college. Uh, congratulations on graduating. And at the That's same fun. time, you know, really pursuing what you're what you're excited about, what you want to talk about and, um, you know, being yourself. I think that there's I don't know, like, what does it feel like for you to be doing your own thing? So I yeah, I mean, I, I switched my major um, after junior year of, of college and um, I was told by my advisor, you know, it's gonna be really difficult for you to get a job out of, out of college. The competition is going to be insane. And I went to a university that didn't have a journalism program, didn't have a media program, didn't have any of this. And so um, I, I started this up as as my to build my brand, um, to, you know, not only get reps as well, but at the end of the day, um, it's, it's been really cool, you know, connecting with people like yourself, you know, being able to talk about things deeper than sports. That's, that's something that I've always been interested in, not talking about, you know, so-and-so signed so-and-so and, um, you know, this team trade uh, a guy for this team, for this guy. And um, 
really, really understanding that, you know, we all have a voice. How am I going to use this microphone um, to potentially influence people and help people be happier than they were um, before watching this? And I, I think that's a huge thing. So many people don't really think about and something that I, I, I saw on your Instagram that I really tried to focus on a lot more is what, what's going to be your legacy, even though it's super deep and um, sometimes you don't want to think about this, but at your funeral, how are people going to remember you? And it's, it's just honestly the reality. And that's something that I think that we need to all focus on is um, live, trying to live our legacy every single day. There's a few taboos in life, you know, like that you don't talk about at the dinner table. <laughs> it's holiday season, right? Like one of them is death. Yeah. You know, you just don't talk about it. Um, you don't talk about who's died or who is dying or who's sick. Um, whenever that topic comes up, everyone kind of just gets like, it shut down. You know, we shut down around these type of topics. And I think that um, <laughs> I, I'm kind of the, I'm always the person that, that that says the taboo topic at dinner, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I'm always that guy. I, I talk about sex, money, religion, politics, you know, at, at, at dinner. I'm not I'm not afraid of that um, because I think that what we're afraid of has a lot to teach us. Mm. And same goes for death. I think um, when we really ask ourselves, um, and and actually like Iggy, that's like where I um, was able to fully like own my business and own my identity after sport was when I actually asked myself like, if I were to die today, you know, like what would my legacy be? What would my epitaph be on my gravestone? Mm -hmm. What would they write about my obituary? How would people talk about me? Would they talk about me for a week and forget? Mm. Um, what a thing about does me. my legacy live on? Did, um, did I pass anything on to anybody else that, you know, so they can carry the torch and the purpose that I stood for? Um, or did I just keep it all to myself? Mm -hmm. Did I keep it all like in my heart? Did I have a life and a love that just stayed with me, you know, and disintegrated <laughs> after death? Or did it, you know, did I put it out there? Did I go for it? And uh, there's there's so much to be gained by living your purpose. And there's going to be so many critics and so many people that try to infiltrate your race. Um, but it does not matter. You know, it does not matter. So forget the pressure, run your race. And yeah, man, I, I think there's something really enlivening about that. You know, 100%. like I said earlier, like you can feel it in your body when you feel pressured, you feel more stuck and you kind of feel like in your body, like a little stagnant. But when you're living your purpose and you're doing things that challenge you that are just uncomfortable and challenge your way of thinking and probably challenge, you know, your own self-belief and your doubts and everything. You know that when you feel it, you know that that's not constricting, that's actually expanding. And that's you can feel that blood running through your your veins. You can feel that pulse in your heart. And that's a body sensation you got to pay attention to because that means you're on the right track. Yeah, 1000%. And I've had, you know, we've all had plenty of doubters or people that say that we can't do it. Um, it's funny when right out of college, I was working at Dunkin' Donuts and I had a guy say to me, when are you going to get a real job? And that hurt me a little bit. It, 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 it hurt my ego a little bit, it made me a little bit insecure about what I was doing. And at the end of the day, I needed to remember um, those times when, you know, 
I was super excited about getting a job. I, I, I'll never forget, you know, sometimes when, when you get super excited about something like, uh, and, and it connects with your why and, and you just get this whole body experience of, of just mm-hmm. seeing excitement. It's, it's nothing like, um, like you can ever really experience. And, um, I think being able to be open and talking about that is huge. I, I mean, it's especially, especially as men. Um, you know, the, com- mm-hmm. the conversation of legacy, the conversation of what's your passion, the conversation of even how are you doing? Are you okay? Um, mm-hmm. In terms of conversations that men have, I don't, I don't think it's talked about enough. It's, it's usually, what girl are you trying to get? Oh, you, you trying to go out tonight? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, did, did you, did you see the, the game last night? And I get it. That's all great. That's all great talking mm-hmm. points. But like, when you, when you have friends, and you're not able to have those deeper conversations than surface level. Um, I think it's, I think it's tough to truly, truly call them a close friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's something you said a minute ago. Um, we actually talked about this offline, like before we started recording, I think like about this concept of like, you know, you love sports so much because it represents, um, feeling fully lit up and on fire. It, it represents like the human potential, uh, the, the possibilities when we all come together as a team represents that tribal mentality and that, that team camaraderie. Um, and there's a visceral feeling that we get when we're on the right path, you know, and we're succeeding and we're celebrating and we are emotional, right? A lot of men think like they're not emotional people, but if you watch them on a baseball field or a football field, like there's a lot of emotion there, you know? (laughs) And so like, it's within all of us. And for some reason, people think, you can't have that off the field. And I think I even heard you say that, like, you know, like you can't experience what you experience in sports anywhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I think that there's a, a certain type of feeling that you get playing sports um, that's hard to replicate in the real world. But I do think that we can experience passion. We can, we can experience that excitement. Mm-hmm. We can experience the full uh, fledge of emotions um, outside of sport. And you know it when you feel it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and my, my, my real message and my, my mission to guys is that you can have a full spectrum emotional experience outside of sport. You know, you don't just experience the highs and the lows and the excitement of sports in sports, but you can feel that in your real life. You can feel that in your connection and the depth that you have with uh, your loved ones, um, the, the devotion you have to your purpose and your career and um, all the relationships that you have, uh, the relationship you have with yourself. Um, do you feel like you're committed and disciplined and focused on running your race for yourself so that you can live a long life? You know, these are all the things that, um, as athletes, we can correlate and we can translate over into our real life, you know, from the field. 1000%. I I I think, uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you say about this, but, um, especially as like a football player, you know, you know, they're, they're taught to be tough and, you know, have that grit and show no emotion and, you know, work your butt off until the game is, is over and tackle those guys into the ground. And um, especially after playing football at Northwestern, how were you able to sort of feel comfortable being vulnerable and being able to show that emotion and, you know, talk about mental health? Because um, like you mentioned, you were a big guy, you were a defensive lineman and, um, a lot, a lot of times people, people would see the, those football players and be like, that person can't, can't easily show emotion. And um, so how are you able to overcome that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great analogy too, because you, you look at football as a perfect example. 
Um, the number one emotion you probably see on a football field is either celebration or what? It's, it's probably anger. Yeah. You know, first thing that came like, to mind. I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to yeah. beat the crap out of you. I'm going to like, I'm going to run you over. Exactly. You know, right. It's me against you. Dominate you. Mm. And coming back to like kind of the primal aspects of us, like we all, we're, we're animals, right? At the end of the day. And um, before we started living civilly, we were very violent. And um, I think that, you know, as men, especially our, um, our instinct is to use anger as defense, as uh, a primary emotion, right. the front face of our you know, stature, uh, use anger. And actually anger is, um, you know, historically like really something that we use to protect ourselves, to protect our young, to protect uh, the women in our life, to protect um, more socially, like our ego, you know? Yeah. And, and so the interesting thing is like on the football field, we use it to protect you know, what we stand for, uh, the game, the, the, the win that's on the line, protect our ego even, you know, of like, who's the bigger man. And um, the point I'm trying to get across is that all we experience is, is anger in football, you know, <laughs> like um, we don't experience the other, other core emotions of, of joy. We, we do experience that, right? But shame, guilt, anger, uh, sadness, fear, those things don't enter our mind very often you know, and for good reason, you know, like, I think that, you know, as a football player, like, we are taught, we are shown and, and demonstrated and exemplified that, like, if we can turn our fear into anger, we can put it to use. Mm -hmm. We can turn our guilt or shame about the last play and how that didn't go well into anger on the next play. We can put it to good use. Right. When I played mad, I played lights out lights out like when i cut it loose and i had a lot to be angry about like when i was when i was um 15 my mom passed away i was a freshman in high school so that time when i got brought up to varsity my mom had just passed away that year and so sophomore junior senior year i had some of the most badass highlight films you know as a football player like just running around the field there were plays where i there's actually a play that's on film on my highlight film of me tackling two people in one play i tackled the quarterback and he just barely got a pass off, a screen pass off. I got up and I tackled the running back five yards downfield because I was I was that adamant. I, I had that mm. much energy and anger and emotion stirring in me that I wanted to just, I had a motor, you know, I just wanted right. to get it out of me. And um, the thing is, you know, after sports, I talked about this offline with you. If you don't have an outlet for your emotions, especially when they might be more than just anger. Mm -hmm. They might be underneath the surface. It might be guilt or shame or, you know, regret. It might be sadness. It might be fear about the future. All these emotions, most men surface those in real life as just anger. Yeah. It's because that's what we're used to, right? Mm -hmm. That's not just an athlete's experience. It's, it's a lot of men's experience. We we just resort to anger and we get defensive and frustrated and angry and we throw things and we hit things, you know, and we say things that we don't want to say out of anger. <laughs> when, you know, my own experience with that was, you know, coming out of sport, like I would get 
I would get angry with people, you know, because I was trying to find my way. I was trying to start a business and I was talking about it and I wouldn't actually do it and I procrastinate. And like when it came down to it, I would get angry at people um, that were really close to me. But when I really started to slow down, and th thanks to some men's groups that I was a part of, thanks to a leadership development program that I joined, um, I was able to see that when I really slowed down, that anger wasn't about anger. I was actually embarrassed. Makes sense. I was embarrassed. Right. I was I was mad at myself mm -hmm. for not having done it sooner. I was mad that I wasn't confident enough in myself. I was mad that I lost my swag. Hmm. That I was I was afraid that I was going to be some washed up football player. Yeah. You know. Makes sense. Living back home. You know, right? Like, and a lot of football players have that same fear. Mm -hmm. Even though I had like the most dope education you could get. Like I had a master's degree from, from Northwestern. Um, I still had those fears. Like, what if I, what if I don't figure it out, you know? And again, those fears, those, those more core emotions often get presented as, as anger if we're not aware of it. And so a lot of the work that I did and I do with, with guys now is to really unpack that anger, mm -hmm. um, find healthy outlets for it so that we can digest it and we can really see what's at the core of it. Um, and that's, that's, that's mental health 101. That's emotional awareness 101. And a lot of us are not taught that we're taught, we're taught anger. We're shown what anger can do and how it can be productive. And I'm not saying that we should lose that part of ourselves. You know, I think that there's always a time for us to, um, to, um, to sort of stuff it down, you know, once in a while, we, we have to do that. We have to show up, we have to fight, we have to use our emotions um, in a productive way, right? And there are times that we need to let off that steam. We need to process, we need to pick up the, the telephone um, of our emotions that are trying to tell us information. It's trying to give us a message. And if we don't listen to it, if we just take it as anger, um, we're missing out on the whole point. Yeah, 1000 percent. And I, I, th I think I think that's huge as well, because, uh, you know, so many times we try to, you know, block out that anger, block out that trauma, block out that fear um, by ex external sources, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's, um, you know, just doing things that, like, like you said, stuff it down. And obviously, like, like you mentioned as well, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's all right to stuff it down. And, and you, you know, just go on, go on with what you're doing. But it's all it's also good to, you know, have those me methods where you're able to release that anger through like meditation, working out healthy, healthy forms. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom, man. I, I can't even imagine that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an only child. I'm, I'm somebody who's who's so close to my mom. And I, ca I can't even imagine that. And um, I, if, if I if that if the same thing happened to me and I was playing baseball, I, I would I would go into it. Uh, I'd, I'd probably be, be way better than I was, but like I would go into it like with full force. And I remember um, I actually played really, really well during baseball when I when I was angry and you know I was looking at the pitcher and thinking in my mind I'm gonna absolutely murder this baseball and I I remember my, my dad would always say he's, he's like uh I told him this I'm like yeah I'm grip I'm gripping the bat like super hard I'm like wicked angry and he's like wouldn't you want to be like loose and I'm like actually weirdly enough like it makes me feel like stronger it makes me feel like I'm hitting the ball farther mm -hmm. and obviously at, at times you know um 
it, it wouldn't work out as well. But I mean, especially like you mentioned, I, I think it's interesting because you said this at the start that you were somebody who didn't so much attach the sport to your identity and wanted to be more of a human, wanted to, you know, be more of yourself and not fully attach the sport to your identity. I, I feel like as well, like you mentioned as well, like uh, there's sometimes where not only people attach the sport to their identity, attach their ego um, to uh, of that sport to their identity, but also with, with school as well. You know, some people might go to these huge universities and have this degree and, and attach that sort of achievement to their ego and then mm-hmm. when things don't work out, you know, they, they, they fear, they feel that sense of not being good enough and um, that, that fear of not meeting people's expectations. Yeah. I, I mean, it's um, the, the concept of like not feeling good enough never made sense to me. Even just saying that felt like something for a long time. It felt like that was something that, um, I don't know, you only talk about as a kid or something like, oh, I'm not good enough to do this or that. Like, they don't like me because of this or that. Um, But it's it's real. It's 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 a human thing. It's an adult thing, too. And. You know, I felt that myself, right, like because I like I although I didn't have my identity caught up in sport, um, I had it caught up in a little bit of school. And I think what, what the school was, was really doing things the right way, you know, like going to a good school, going to a top 10 school, um, getting good grades, studying a major that um, has a track, um, doing things, pleasing others, you know, and that all were, were subconscious ways for me to up my self-worth because I would look good. I would get affirmation from people. Mm-hmm. I would feel good about myself because I thought that my worth came from other people and what they thought. And so <laughs> what a crappy situation to be in, you know, <laughs> like, because the only way to get rid of that and to start living your life and to be yourself is to piss a lot of people off, to upset people, um, to let some people down for what they expect of you. And those are the really uncomfortable parts of this journey, right? That no one likes to talk about. It's leaving people behind or moving on and and doing your thing, um, which for a lot of people might, might, you know, people might say like, oh, you changed. Or you're different now. That's like and me. That's kind of that's that's kind of the point, you know. It's like yeah. <laughs> the point is for us to evolve and to grow and to learn about ourselves and evolve into new ways of being, right? Really, just come back to ourselves. That's what it's really all about. We're not changing, you know. We're not we're not diverting the path. We're actually coming back home. Yeah. We're really just like there's an awesome quote like we're all just really walking each other home. We're all just here to show each other who we are, be mirrors for one another and remind each other of who we really are so that we can really live that out. And, you know, not people, please not be so focused on what other people are going to think. Uh, this this conversation is having a theme, I feel like, you know, we're talking about like running your race, really. We're talking about coming back to 
what makes you you and what makes you good you know just innately just innately like you're already enough you're already worthy you're already who you are you don't have to do anything or prove anything to be that 100 i i think i think that idea um right when you said it hit me i got a little bit choked up uh because it's so true of of tying your worth to how other people look at your worth and um you know, have that opinion, but it's, it's so subjective, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's not objective where, where like it, like those are the facts, like everybody has a different opinion yeah. of what your worth is. And um, I think when you tie that to it, cause I mean, there's a lot of times where people could, you know, tie this to a relationships. Like this girl will be into me because I have this accolade. I have this accolade. I have this job. I look really cool online. You know, why wouldn't she be into me? But like, it's, it's really just the, the biggest thing is having confidence in yourself and believing that you are worthy, that you are enough. And I think that's something that each of us struggle with every single day. Um, not only just with, you know, mental health issues, but potential insecurities, comparing ourselves to other people, looking on social media, seeing, seeing other people. And, um, instead of just looking at ourselves and, um, loving who we are at, at the core and, and being grateful for, you know, what we have around us. I, I, I think that's, I think that's a really interesting concept. It is. I mean, it's, um, you know, we, we, we talk the, the, the term like mental health too, right? Like we think that um, all these things <clears throat> fall under the, the kind of stigmatized word mental health. Like I, I kind of wish we had like another word to, to use. Like I, I think of it as like your mindset, like your attitude, mm -hmm. your frame of mind, because, <clears throat> you know, I think like mental health um, could mean a lot of different things, just like illness and health and nutrition is a, is a wide spectrum. You know what I mean? Like you can be healthy and then you could be ill. Um, but like mental health, I think there's like mental wellness. There's just mental upkeep. There's like, you know, just just doing right by yourself. Um, and that can spiral into mental health issues if you don't take care of yourself, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't, if you don't follow those intu intuitive hits, if you don't follow your heart and, um, only live by other people's perspectives, yeah, that can, that can lead you into some dark places, you know, cause, 100%. uh, in, in those spaces, you feel that resistance, you feel that pressure and that shows up in your body. <clears throat> a lot of people with chronic pain, I'm convinced that a lot of that is emotional. A lot of it is, is held on to beliefs or acting for other people. Um, it's unresolved trauma. Um, we hold in our bodies too. You know, we hold on to things and that tension shows up everywhere. And so when you can release, you can live a lot more freely. You know, you can live your authentic truth. One thousand percent. I think that's what we're all, uh, all striving for at the end of the day. And um, it, I, I agree with you, the, the whole stigma of mental health. And um, it's funny, I had to explain to people when I sort of switched my podcast to talk more about mental health. They're like, <laughs> no, mm -hmm. th those are those are for people that should be in insane asylums. I'm like, I don't know if you realize, but everybody mm -hmm. has mental health issues. It's like, do, do you ever feel anxious? Do you ever feel depressed? Do you ever feel um, like we talked about before, like you're not good enough? Well, th that kind of strings to it similarly, but it's all about your mindset, your perspective mm -hmm. that you are programmed by your adolescence, by society and by your parents. Um, 
But I want to take a second to talk a little bit about uh, your company, World Class, and um, you have this really interesting method, the, the World Class method. I just want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the World Class method came out of my own experience. Um, and what I mean by World Class, uh, by the way, is, you know, I, I got to this point where I wanted to finally support World Class athletes and becoming World Class leaders outside of sport. Mm -hmm. And but like really world class means a lot more than that. It means um, like true leadership is like vulnerable leadership. It's like putting your neck out there. It's putting your um, ego on the line. And um, that doesn't just mean like business leadership or team leadership. That means, uh, you know, living your authentic self. So it's, it's all in what we're just talking about. Um, that is world class to me. That's what world class means. Um, and my method was born out of my own experience because um, I I went through post-concussion syndrome for a number of years. I, I you know, technically I still have symptoms of post-concussion syndrome. I, I wear glasses that actually correct my vision a little bit, will redirect my eyes uh, to support the muscles that, that run my eyes. Um, but that took me a long time to figure out that I had post-concussion syndrome. For a while there, for about a year and a half, I was very confused. I was very irritable. I had the symptoms of moodiness, headache, nausea, which at the time I thought was hunger. I, I didn't know what nausea felt like. Um, I, I don't get very nauseous as a guy. Um, and, and so I thought it was like hunger, um, but I was getting, I was having all these like symptoms that would pop up after I'd work out or if I go to the grocery store or something. And I started to worry, like, am I going crazy? Do I have this brain disease that all the football players have, right? And I, I think every football player has probably had that thought come up, you know, somewhere along in life. Like, is this, am I just forgetting things or is this something worse? Right. Um, am I, do I have a headache? Does everyone else have a headache like I do? You know, mm. <laughs> like, because um, I kind of constantly always have a, a little bit of a headache, but I don't know if that's normal or if everyone has that. Or if that's just something that I, I learned to endure, you know, as a, as a football player. Um, all these questions run through your head as a former player. And so um, I had those symptoms. I had a bunch of them and I got them checked out. Thankfully at Northwestern, um, the medical staff was really, really generous uh, of their time and energy and finances to support me with the, the best care possible when it came to figuring out what was going on. And um, they didn't have to do that, by the way. They didn't have to fund anything because this was not on my medical record. I never had a, I had a diagnosed concussion, but um, they, the, the concussion that was giving me these symptoms was not actually on the record. It was something that happened in a game. I remember it, but I didn't diagnose it. I didn't, I didn't come off the field. I was seeing double, but I just kept playing. Um, but it, it turns out I did have post-concussion syndrome and I was basically still seeing double from that concussion and that was causing all the symptoms. And so, um, I, um, through my own journey, like at the same time, I was also getting really passionate about the concussion problem and the mental health problem that was plaguing sports because this was a year after college and in college I had learned in my master's program about the concussion issue before a lot of people had, had really come to come to grips with what was going on and what was being hidden by certain organizations. 
And I was like, this is something I really want to put my work into. And so I went and I was actually working for a concussion startup in Chicago when I found out I had post-concussion syndrome. So I was already at work. I was already like passionate about this. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur at some point and start a business around this. But I went and worked for a startup. That didn't work out. And so I had these two parallel lines of going through post-concussion syndrome myself, figuring out what the hell it was. Um, figuring out what was CTE and what wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. or what could be or what, what couldn't be. And then figuring out ways to support guys, you know, because no one was doing th- anything for people that had played. Right. Um, there's a lot of um, talk and programming at like the NFLPA or um, different organizations. Um, NCAA doesn't do anything when it comes to this that I know of. Um, most schools pretty much kick, you know, like once you're done playing, like you're done playing there's, there's mm-hmm. not much oversight or support, but I was really lucky at Northwestern where they really took care of me. And I was like, I got to get this sort of support out to more guys. I got to get the, not only the physical support, but the mentally emotional support that guys need. And, um, so along these same two paths, I started finding things that would help me that I knew would help me. Um, one of the things was I was getting very moody. I started experiencing emotions that I didn't know was just part of normal life, you know, like that anger I was talk, talking to you about, or right. if it, this was due to my concussion symptoms, or if this was due to just playing a sport and having an outlet for anger all my life, but not having that anymore. So I decided that um, I wanted to explore like getting back into kind of like a locker room vibe with other guys. And I discovered the concept of a men's group. And a men's group is like a real life locker room. Um, but without the sports and the beer and the trash talk and <laughs> the locker room talk, you know, it's like real life talk. It's right. uh, how you doing? How you feeling? Um, what's real for you right now in your life? What are your goals? What, what are you really passionate about? And how can I be a brother to you? And um, cool. the men's group that I joined really, really supported me in processing my own emotional experiences really taking control and responsibility for my, my own emotions and really developing some emotional intelligence around that, that mm-hmm. you know, all this while, I, I thought I was a pretty emotionally intelligent guy, by the way, like I thought I was pretty up there when it came to emotional intelligence, but I had a lot to learn. And um, I still was being a victim to, to my emotions in a lot of ways. Uh, and I still am, you know, I think we, we all are uh, mm-hmm. at times. So, um, yeah, and, and so this is my long way of telling you what my method is, but then I'm telling you how I got there, all right? Um, I, I, had to, I had to go through the ringer myself, um, experience the, the deepest, um, darkest parts of post-concussion syndrome where, like, you know, there were times I'd come out of those treatments and be so symptomatic um, because that's what, it, what treatment does. It, it makes you more symptomatic. Right. I would, I would just want to destroy things. I would want to like just jerk the wheel mm-hmm. just to, just to like cause some destruction, just to get that anger out of my system. And so that was starting to take shape in like these destructive thoughts, which I, wow. I thought to myself, like, this is not cool, you mm-hmm. know, obviously not cool. And I got to take this into my own hands. And so, um, a leadership development program here in San Diego, I went through, really showed me that sort of you know life or death situation if if you were dead right now how would you feel like how would you feel about the way you lived your life that's interesting and that experience totally shifted my perspective totally shifted the trajectory of the way that i own my own not only my, my emotions but own my life and own my mm-hmm. next move 
And that ownership showed up in a, in a symptom decrease. The next week I went back into my doctor's office and he said my eyes had gotten like back to normal. And I felt, I felt way better. I felt like myself again because cool. I had a new sense. I was just operating differently. I was living from a place of responsibility. I wasn't a victim to this thing anymore. I wasn't a victim to, uh, oh, you know, I don't have the right steps or I don't have the right things to, to start a business. Once I finally got done to business and I, I started going after it, I felt better. Um, and it showed physically and mentally. And I started to realize like, this is, this is the real juice. This is the real root of what a lot, a lot of guys are going through. Yes, there might be some biological things that are going on, but there's this thing that we have in the medical, in the medical science called the placebo effect. When you, when you think you're taking something that's supporting you, um, you get better. It's accounted for in every single study, every double blind mm -hmm. study, every pharmaceutical drug accounts for the placebo effect. It happens everywhere. It happens every time where you That's take cool. a sugar pill and you think it's something else and you feel better. And that doesn't tell me like, oh, I, I should go hand people sugar pills on the street. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I should focus on the possibilities, focus on what is possible. How can your mental how can your, your mindset shift your physical? Because that's a perfect example of it, the placebo. Right. How can your mentality, your, it's called psychosomatics. How does my psychology impact my somatic experience, my, my biology? And that's what my method is based off of. Um, it's based on psychosomatics. So it's based on your emotional experience, owning your emotions, owning your identity as a former athlete, owning your vision and your purpose as a former athlete, all the habits, all the emotions, all the relationships, and all the action that it takes to really live a life of purpose so that you can live fully on fire outside of sport. 100%. And uh, th that's so interesting. And I, I feel like uh, even, even though it's become much more of a subject, you know, in the past, like five to 10 years, um, and it is mostly due to, you know, people dying from CTE that, that people are talking mm -hmm. about it. And um, it's unfortunate that I had to get to that point, but I think it's amazing all the stuff that you're doing. And uh, you know, you're also an official um, provider for the pro football hall of fame, behavioral health. Um, you're also an ambassador mm -hmm. for athlete care. Um, you're also a board member on um, beyond the concussion. And um, I, I think it's amazing what you're doing because I, I actually have a, one of my best friends got hit with a baseball in, in the face and um in high school and uh he had really bad concussion for for multiple months and um he still tells me that he he has post-concussion sy syndrome um to where oh, like really? he, he has he has similar issues of you know feeling anger um in, in different points he's all he's on edge sometimes and um forgets things easily and um for, for for people who might be dealing with uh you know those types of symptoms or or think that they might be um what advice do you have for them and how can they potentially get help? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great question. I want to actually recommend something to your, to your friend um, if he's open to it. Um, I think it would be. It, it kind of depends on like the severity of the symptoms, you know, it, it could be more, more chronic. It could be more kind of acute. Um, but um, there's a couple of great resources. Obviously I, I'm, I'm a coach and I, I support with more of the mental side of things and I can support with like some of the, kind of more mechanical and biological pieces, like some some simple like kind of brain hacks and like things you can do to, to up your, your brain health long-term. Um, so I'm definitely a resource, but I would say actually 
when it comes to long-term prolonged post-concussion syndrome symptoms, um, there's a great program called Concussion Compass that my colleague Molly Parker founded um, that um, has kind of a group environment, has a bunch of lessons, and they, they basically give you all the tools and um, direction for um, and community to, to solve your post-concussion syndrome symptoms in your local area. So it's like an online program, but they have the best network um, around the country to support you with the right care. Cause there's a lot of people that just do not understand concussion. There is mm -hmm. so limited information. There's, they didn't really start teaching on concussion until like recently in medical school. A lot of the old, old time doctors were never taught this in school. They were they, like, it might've, might've been like a small sliver of their education because we didn't know much about the brain back then. We know a lot more now we're learning a lot more. And, um, I would say more younger doctors tend to have more of an up, you know, up game when it comes to concussion. And um, they, they do a really good job vetting those doctors and those uh, uh, providers. So the cool thing about post-concussion syndrome is like a lot of people might think that you can't really heal from it or you can't get back to your normal, but you can. Um, and Molly in her program is, is proof of that. Um, I'm obviously proof of that too. Um, it's not just a mindset thing. It's also a um, health practitioner thing. So. Um, yeah, hopefully that helps. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, Molly Parker and the Concussion Compass program is is a great, great resource. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely share that with them. And uh, I, I think it's a subject that needs to be talked about a lot more. And actually, after after doing my research of, of yourself before this interview, um, it actually inspired me to get a little bit more into it, learn a little bit more, try, try and be more of a voice about it. I, I've myself is, have never really dealt with um a concussion, but I, I feel like it's, I think it's a huge part of, you know, athletes, mental health, um, and something that needs to be talked about way more. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're, when I started really researching the mental health space for athletes, like I hate to call it an industry, but it is one at this point. Um, there is, this is not just a football problem. It's, it's an athlete, you know, issue. It just happens to be accentuated by, I think the concussion issue in sports like football, hockey, soccer um sports where you get your bell rung right mm. um but this this is a shared experience among all athletes which is why my work really encompasses all all athletes especially men so um my work is really to get guys in a room together and and talk about more than just sports talk about life talk about um talk about and connect with their emotions as um as superpowers really as, as things that can help um guide your life and guide your next moves um and that's something that every athlete can relate to. So, yeah, one hundred percent. I completely agree with you, man. And um, you know, I I've loved this conversation. I, th I think I think we've talked about a lot of like really meaningful things, and um, a lot of things that are, are going to help out a lot of people. And um, for anybody who wants to learn more about yourself, um, learn more about the world class method, and um, sort of what you do to not only help athletes but just just to help everyday people um, with mental health, um, where can they check you out? Yeah, first and foremost is um, um, Instagram. So it's Q Williams double underscore. Um, and then my website is q-williams.com. Uh, it's q-williams.com. And um, actually on there, if there are athletes that are listening right now or retired athletes or um, any of you out there that want to get kind of a sneak peek into this work and do a little bit of self-reflection and self-assessment, I have this quiz on my website. Um, if you go to q-williams.com slash quiz, you'll see it right there. It's called the Life After Athlete Archetype Quiz. 
and it helps assign you with your athlete archetype. Think of, think of it this way. On a football field, on a football team, there's always four captains, right? Um, they usually span all across the field. It's not just the quarterback who's the captain, who is the leader of the team, but there's also folks that lead from the back, that lead from the sides, that lead in their unique way. So every team, every, every life, every relationship in real life can take on that same shape. And my invitation to everyone is to really do some self-reflection through this quick two-minute quiz, um, get an idea of how they show up in life, life after sports. Are they, uh, are they the offensive guard? Are they the quarterback? Are they the wide receiver? Are they the special teams? Are they the punter? You know, mm-hmm. What role are they playing in, in life after sport and how can they really maximize that? And I give you some tools to do that. So um, check out the quiz. It's an awesome resource and uh, really speaks into everything we talked about today too. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Everybody go and check that out. And I, I, th- I think you can obviously learn a lot, um, not only from that quiz, but um, from, from Q's great resources on his website and also on his Instagram as well. So definitely go and check that out. But uh, really appreciate, really appreciate you taking the time today, Q, and uh, appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot, Iggy. This has been great. A lot of fun, man. Perfect. Appreciate what you do. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.